Today's episode of Daily DVR is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. Head over to CuffLinks.com right now. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. Now listen, the Delta's out there. COVID's still around. We know that. But people are going outside. You can be safe. And if you're going to be outside and you're going to be safe, you know what you're going to be doing? Looking good because you went to CuffLinks.com. Whether you're getting married, going to a wedding, you want some nice fall accessories, okay? And when I say accessories, I don't just mean, oh, that's a nice little thing there. How about some Star Wars? How about some Marvel, some DC, some Game of Thrones? Cufflink has all the greatest high-end accessories that you could want if you want to look good. And they have the fun stuff, too. All the stuff that I mentioned, all the geeky stuff that we love. So head over to cufflinks.com, use code DVR20, save 20% off today. Thank you, Cufflinks. Cufflinks.com. Welcome back. The Daily DVR does American Crime Story Impeachment. Today we're here to talk about, wow, we've already made it, to episode seven, the assassination of Monica Lewinsky. And Gina has a great alternate title for us today, which is Bill Clinton is a big fat fucking liar and all the women know it. Uh, (laughs) God, he did not, he did not come out looking good this episode, Gina. You know what? He really didn't. And I know I said it a couple episodes ago, but I said that Bill Clinton and Donald Trump are more alike than we realize. And I think this kind of proves it. And it also proves Bill Clinton kind of wrote the playbook for Donald Trump to get away with all sorts of shit. Yeah. And and yeah, it's it was it's sad to see. And as I've been saying, it's it's a pathology, you know, and. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a great performance. Um, I was a little unsure uh, when I fir- when the first the casting came out and it was Clive Owen. And I was like, Clive Owen? I mean, he's a great actor. But as Bill Clinton and then in the beginning a little, but as, as it goes, as it has gone on. And then when this episode, I was like, man, there, there better be some Emmys coming for this show. Yeah. Um, maybe a little early to say that because the Emmys just happened and people might have forgotten about this by the time the Emmys well, happen again. Uh, but gosh, man, it just really Clive Owen was great. And Sarah Paulson continues to just astound me. Oof. She's yeah. amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, I mean, the casting in this whole show, I think, is super impeccable. Just like. I mean, it's, it's a stellar cast. They're all amazing. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't even really realize it's Clive Owen. Like I don't, I know it's not Bill Clinton, but I, I couldn't associate the character with an actor either when I'm just kind of watching it. And I think the same is true for, for, um, Linda Tripp, uh, for Sarah Paulson. Um, I do associate Ann Coulter with, Colby because it's just such a caricature, but it's still amazing. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, it is. It's interesting that 
and I, I guess the same thing has happened in other films that we see that are biographical where sometimes it behooves the creators to go a little, to push it with the makeup and the yes. clothes because what it ends up happening is almost they, they like force create a new world that you are, you as the viewer have an actual an easier time accepting this person because it's a bit of a grotesque in the beginning and you settle into it and it's almost like, um, uh, I would describe it as maybe it's like, Hey, watching a film like Glen Gary, Glen Ross, where it's written in such a, almost its own language that it takes a second to get it. And then once you get it, that rhythm kind of captures you and it creates its own world. And that's how I feel that they've, what they've done with the makeup mm-hmm. and the prosthetics on this show. They've actually, in the beginning, it was like, whoa, but now it's like, I almost crave it when I turn into the, you know, to turn the channel on, I kind of want to be sucked into that weird world and just looking at the, the bumps and lines of Bill Clinton's face as he's talking is kind of captivating. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it really is. Um, and I think I'm going to I'm going to bring this up now because it was kind of a re- realization I had. And I don't know if after I tell you this, you'll feel the same way. But so we we do finally get to see Edie Falco as Hillary Clinton. And honestly, at first, I'm like, I feel let down. She's not trying to do the voice. She really looks nothing like Hillary Clinton. And then I'm kind of like, what's going on here? But then I thought about the rest of the cast and it made me realize the only two characters I think we've seen main characters that aren't in some type of prosthetic or trying to do the voice or the accent or, or anything are Edie Falco and Beanie who is playing Monica Lewinsky. And I thought, maybe that's because these are actually the two people in this whole story that are the most truthful and most authentic. And everyone else is just kind of a fucking fake piece of shit. I think that's a really, um, I think that's a very interesting point of view. And I think that it, it makes a lot of sense that they're just being who they are. Whereas everyone else is wearing a face or is trying yes. to wear a face playing a role. And yeah. I, I'd put my, I'd put, um, Mira Savino in the category with these two women too, because you could tell it's her. She looks enough the part, but I don't think she's trying to put on a voice or anything. Like we know it's her. And I think that's kind of where this with comes in. Like everyone else is kind of a, you know, weird caricature, like, you know, it's like faux Facebook where people project one life and <laughs> they're really living another one, you know, and I feel that was something that we see with Monica Lewinsky this episode is she's she's accepting everything that's happened to her. She is not in denial. She's like, mom, everything they're saying is true. You know, like everything's true. Of course, I'm going to listen to this. It's, it's not like they're lying about me. 
you know, I, I said all these things and I just thought that's also a very kind of, and that's where I think I got the, the pull for the authenticity and maybe we'll see it more from Hillary Clinton's character next week. But um, it's, uh, there's just like an authenticity where she is embracing everything that's happening to her, which quite honestly, half the people I know don't embrace the reality that they're in today. So I was like, props on her, especially for being so young and it's being so horrifying. Yeah, I I agree. I thought that that part where she's like, I have to see this, you know, mm-hmm. like this is me. I was kind of like, yeah, I feel the same way. And also it it does behoove her to know the pulse of what the public is feeling, know what's happening, because I mean, God damn it. She has just been kept out in the cold from Bill. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I can understand her desire to want to somehow have any control or even just the knowledge helps in understanding what's happening, you know? Yeah. And, and a big part of this episode and with the title of the episode, I thought they were actually going to put more time into this. We get a little, uh, you know, a lot of the beginning of the episode is about the news breaking publicly, right? Mm-hmm. And every it's on like we're talking about. It's on TV. And then we get a little bit of like the Jay Leno writer's room. Um, and it's just like, also, thank you writers here for reminding everyone how awful Jay Leno was because no one likes Jay Leno. Okay. Let me tell you something. No <laughs> one likes Jay Leno. No one in the comedy world. I've never heard another comedian on the plethora of comedian podcasts that exist. Like every comedian has a podcast. No one has ever been like, you know, who's a real great guy, Jay Leno, never. And it just shows how, even he's coming out right away. And hey, David Letterman did it too. It looked like he was a little bit less enthusiastic about doing it. Um, and I wonder if they chose that particular s- clip on purpose. Mm. Um, but it it was awful. This well, stuff. Didn't, okay. didn't Letterman later have some sexual harassment allegations against him? So maybe he played it a little cooler. Uh, that's a or affairs or something yes he it was it was an it was an affair it wasn't okay it was he had a long-standing affair with uh um a woman who worked on the show with him or i think was maybe from my recollection she was pretty high up i think she was like the floor director or something um and uh I think it did last a while. That's a, it's a great point, Gina. We have to remember these. Things. Yeah. You know, those who live in glass houses yeah. shouldn't throw stones. So maybe they went kind of easy on them. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, Jay, I'm like, Letterman's great. Jay Leno sucks. You're like, Oh, remind, reminder, Axel. But, um, I did, I did think there was a particular, they, that was like on purpose. And I think that if I remember Leno was a bit more harsh um, and I, I don't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to go back in my memory of thinking of whether or not there was a little bit of talk of like how mean he was being uh. in the time, but it does make you realize how 
you know, with the recent kerfuffle with Dave Chappelle, right? And his Netflix comedy special. Seeing how vicious they were with such little information, too, that they had at that time. I mean, this is basically like the next day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were terrible to her. It is, it is pretty much the next day. Well, and then there's the SNL thing. I don't know if we want to wait until we get into Linda Tripp to talk about that, but the SNL uh, characters. And you see it goes always, right? I think that that's an interesting, the way they show that too is just, and I mean, I think that's kind of the, the theme of Linda's story this episode, which is, you ain't going to be no hero. Yeah. And she really thought she was going to be one. Yep. And that's the deluded world that this woman was living in. Like she really thought she was going to be an American hero. She really thought it was going to lead to Clinton resigning. And I think it's backfired in so many ways. Yeah, that is the truth. Um, so let's talk a little bit about one of the uh, a scene that I know you were not able to access the vulture. Did this really right. happen? Article, but I but was. I, I had not yeah. used. My oh, okay, good. Because I, I read the slate one, but I couldn't get the vulture, and I wasn't going to pay. Sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> um, it wasn't. It wasn't too. It wasn't. There wasn't too much stuff in it, but I think that the the actual deposition here that we get to see with Bill Clinton mm. and uh, Paula Jones and her lawyers in the room. Um, the one thing that came out of it with the Vulture article I found out is that the deposition was actually like eight hours long. Oh, and yeah, we, it, didn't, it didn't really give a sense of time and they didn't reference that at all. Yes. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, it seemed very quick. In, in, in what they were showing or they kind of, I don't think they show him leaving. I think they just kind of break it off. Yeah. Um, but it lasted a long time and the incident with her getting up and leaving did not occur. Okay. She sat there and took it. Yes. So that was good for her effect. Yeah. Um, mm. There was a quote from someone saying she had already been through these depositions up to this point. And which they haven't showed us like the, the, the case continued off camera in other ways that we didn't see. And, um, no, she was totally fine during it. She, there was some reaction, but she held her ground and she never got up and left. Well, good for her. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I wish they would have put that in here. You know, I, did we need the dramatic effect or would it have been worth watching Paula sit there and gut it out? like a champ because they've been so freaking awful to her this whole time. I would have loved to just see her sat there and, you know, and been stoic. Um, That's a good question, Gina. I think about that too, because in yeah. a sense, they have taken a, an extremely kind view of her. Very just, sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Sympathet- yeah. Not maybe not kind in a, cause she's is shown to be incredibly naive and maybe not yeah. the sharpest knife in the drawer, but. Um, it, it definitely not a mean person. They don't, they don't seem to be indicating that 
the producers of the show believe that she was lying in any way or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so why, why include that? I mean, I think, I think in a sense it does come down to when you're writing a show, it's like when you're showing different people involved with him, you kind of want to stretch it either way, mm-hmm. you know? So Well, and this was really setting him up to be the villain, right? Because some of my written commentary as I watched this the second time was like, he doesn't even acknowledge that she's in the room. And I wrote, lie, 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 lie. <laughs> in my lifetime, I've never sexually harassed a woman. You know, and then the Monica questions start out. And I swear that guy, I swear that he started getting more and more red. I don't know if they did that with makeup or if it was him acting, but I just felt his face continued to get red throughout the whole line of questioning. That was definitely a Bill Clinton trait. And I think that it was very cool the way they did that. Um, The whole thing what the way that she comes in and kind of like Judith Light doesn't even go in the room with her, you know, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, okay, I guess only certain people are allowed. And then Clinton walks in with like 30 lawyers, you know, like, well, yeah, I think it was just the people and their lawyers. I think that was the was clearly good. Hillary wasn't there with them. That's true. That's true. Oh, um, dear. It was very, I mean, it, it was, it was interesting because it, it to me, it drew a comparison and a parallel to what Monica experienced in her interrogation where there's just like a lot of dudes in suits Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the same thing. Right. And it just, I think that that is like our great guest last week. Thanks again, DJ for coming on. Um, Kept on saying like, it's just like powerful men in a room, you know, like intimidating people. Yeah both sides are doing it right like clinton does it they do it to lewinsky it's a it's a it's a long-standing technique yeah um and yeah the way he could he uh acted in this interview do you understand that the, the definite we have to define sexual relations it's just so yeah absolutely silly um i wonder this while I was watching, I was thinking to myself, now I know, you know, lawyers are going to lawyer and they talk a certain way, but do you think if this happened today, do you think they'd be more direct? More direct in terms of. Yeah. Like, do you think. Calling it. Just just say sex or oral sex. I think it would be sex, oral sex. I think they'd be more specific with the type of sex. Yes. Maybe. versus sexual relations as a blanket umbrella for anything that could possibly yeah. fall underneath it, which is a lot of stuff. Let's be honest. It's <laughs> a lot of stuff, you know? I mean, yeah. And if you listen to Dan Savage, he'll tell you that's just as good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always have to be sex people. Um, <clears throat> as I clear my throat, I, I just think that it was interesting to me because I can remember thinking to myself, back in the day in the 90s like the real world i think like the difference between the real world the media the law like everything has moved closer in the past 30 years you know what i mean like it's the same way that like everybody just wears yoga pants and and sweatpants outside Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like 
the lines yeah. of our in our society have very much blurred. Oh yeah. And, and and I and I just feel like today if they were sitting down they would base they would like be very specific about things. And in a sense they were still following some sort of old boys club rules in the way that they were talking about this stuff, you know? Um, and I, yeah. I it was just straight. I don't know. I just thought it was strange. Well, and I do think there's something because I, I'm even thinking back to like when <laughs> I, you know, I was fairly innocent <laughs> for a long time and kind of thinking back to, and I don't know, I think I just had a very different upbringing, but like I got to college and I was surprised how many girls were still virgins, but had given tons of blowjobs. And I'm just kind of like, gosh, I don't even think I would have ever put that on the table if I hadn't had sex with the person first. You know, it was just like, really? I could, I, we could have been doing that. And I mean, it's just like, this is me, raised a Catholic girl in a super small town and didn't never wanted to do anything in case everyone found out about it because everyone would and my parents were teachers you know but I do think there's something about if you don't go all the way it doesn't count type yeah. of thing That's, yeah it's really weird yeah you know what Gina you're right that is really interesting and I too was raised a good Catholic boy by the time I got to college I had shed that um, but I still do kind of feel like I, I always felt like oral was like more like. Um, uh, it wasn't something you started out with. Yes, it was something I, you graduated to after you had sex with the person. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that's, I feel the same way, Gina. I, uh, like yeah. more intimate. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. I yeah. Like that's more intimate, not less. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just a different world, but. I mean, I have to say that in my own experience in life, I, I, when I was younger, I did come across that I'm saving myself or something or like, you know, and, and don't, let's not forget Gina and I don't want to become too crude here, but <laughs> this was the same time in the nineties that you had, like, there was the whole kind of purity thing starting and the whole kind of, um, there was the Howard Stern thing. You, I don't know if you remember, it happened around the same time where it's like, if you do it in the butt, you're still a virgin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, got, right? I think it was a big purity thing. I think we were also raised in the midst of the AIDS pandemic, right? Very and safe true. sex was hammered into us. Yeah. And, you know, you wear a condom to prevent getting anything or getting pregnant. And it's like, well, it, you know, and oh, so you have oral sex with condoms. I mean, it could get, get very confusing. I think we're far more advanced now and hopefully straightforward. Uh, I mean, I'm sure sexual sex ed is still abysmal in the public school system. But, you know, if parents are cool enough to be like having honest conversations with their kids, then we're a lot better off. And trust me, those kids know a lot more. But the odd thing is, here's the other thing. I, from what I've read, teens and even people in their 20s today are far less sexual than perhaps we may have been growing up. And I don't know if that was fueled by like the Porky's movies or oh the AIDS or teen pregnancy, but 
they just don't, from what I've read, they just don't seem to be as interested in sex as I remember and everyone I know remember knowing. Well, I guess if you were growing up. Yeah, I guess. But I guess also, Gene, is if if you can learn all the secrets of the world on the internet. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's not as exciting to learn them from the girl next door. That's true. We did not have the internet growing up. And thank God the internet really wasn't around to the extent it is now when all this happened with Monica Lewinsky. That is something. That would have been horrible. To transfer off um, the weird sex sex talk, which (laughs) by the way, I agree. So strange. I mean, so strange. But I do, I was thinking, I said that to my wife. I said, Gosh, can you imagine if the internet was around when the, and something like this happened and how I would fear for her. I don't know if she'd still be around, honestly. I think people are, you have such easier access and to amplify your hate. Mm-hmm. I yeah. fear, you know. Yeah. I mean, we saw Linda, we saw Linda Tripp get the, the letter that said die Kant. So it's like, can you imagine what it would have been like for her on social media too? I mean, both of those women, who knows what would have happened? Well, and even for Bill Clinton, I mean, yikes. Yeah. It's interesting (laughs) because I think that in today's day and age, excuse me, on the, um, you know, the, the, the late night shows and all that kind of stuff, I think they would have been much more understanding, right? But personally, human beings on the internet would have been much worse. So yeah. it's kind of interesting when you think about that because, you know, getting back to the Leno like room and then the little clips they were showing, it just did with such little information to come out immediately and have to attack her like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of this stuff with the sucking and blowing and all that. Oh and my it's God. Like, Buttercup suction cup. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just, it's it just crude and, and also just not taking into account at all that she was an intern in the white house. She was in her, yeah. you know, she's like barely, she's like 20 something, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, I think that 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 too was crazy. Um, uh, All right. What are we moving on to? Oh, this was an interesting part. When Bill Clinton brings in Dick Morris. Oh, my God. They're like, Dick Morris? No, as he's walking through the hallway. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, He was something else. Um, I mean, you know, kind of, I guess... In, in a way, a fixer, he became uh-huh. um, just known as really a political animal. And he also crossed the line um, where he would also be for either Democrats or Republicans. So that's an interesting thing about Dick Morris is he was kind of an equal opportunity uh, political beast. And I think that this was kind of funny because there was that hubbubaloo about him. What did, what, what did he end up like licking the feet of somebody or sucking the toes of a prostitute? Yeah. Which, which when you think about <laughs> it, you're like, who cares? Let the guy do what he wants. But it, it just goes to show that this was a time period when they were trying, you know, it's like every so yeah. often they try to get politicians on any type of sexual stuff they can, you know? And anyone mm-hmm. surrounding them. Um, 
And that, that's the, I do not think that that raises to the limit of what Bill Clinton did. Um, that's just kind of having a little fun there, you know? I mean, <laughs> God forbid, Dick Morris. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting because one thing it showed for me is um, that he was at least honest with one person. Right. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. At least at that point, anyway. Yeah. yeah. I had Very no idea. I thought and that he's like, I know why you called me. I already ran the polls. I was like, <laughs> oh, damn. That's, <laughs> that's a professional. Yeah. Whatever he was fired for, he he knows what he knows what the guy wanted. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And then he also in in this in this conversation with Dick Morris, and then later to kind of go over the Bill Clinton stuff, we see him on TV doing the famous "That Woman" speech. Um, yeah, which was like also at the end of a. Like when, when Hillary introduces you, like that was just not the right time. There's so no. many mistakes that they made. Yeah. I I mean, just the fact that he was talking to the press about yeah. other stuff that day, I was like, are you kidding me? I, I just like no PR person, press person in their right mind would let that guy go out there and do that. However, this is Bill Clinton. Yep. We, saw, we see the sway he has over people, the Betty Curry scene. I was just like, oh, poor Betty. He basically fed her everything. Mm. So you remember this happening. Like he was telling her, giving her another reality to parrot out if she was ever asked. Without her really, it was so sly. Was so, I mean, he didn't get the name Slick Willie for nothing. And that was part of it. Good grief. Yeah. Um the Betty stuff was terrible because it was so mafioso. And like, when you're talking about Trump, when I think of Trump coming from New Jersey, as I do, and having known a few people here and there who may have been involved in our thing, um, Trump is total mafioso. And that's where he gets yeah. most of his stuff from as was Roy Cohn. And, um, I think that this was totally like that intimidating, terrible stuff. And especially yeah. in the way that he talked, he was so upset at the way Monica, you talk to Betty like that, you know, like, yes, he was such a hypocrite when exactly. he was then putting Betty in this position that is far worse in my opinion than mm -hmm. being yelled at by a 24 year old girl. <sighs> You know what I mean? Way worse. Style. Yeah. And, and it makes it makes the whole she survived the civil rights movement Ugh. bullshit when you're the white president sitting there basically extorting her in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, for her silence. Yeah. Um, it was really terrible. And I, I you know what? I really appreciated this episode going in on him because I think, you know, I mean, I admit I've been I think we've been fairly not terrible to Bill Clinton during this podcast. Yeah. We've even spoke of the love that he and Monica may have had for each other. But this episode showed that, yeah, this dude was willing to do anything to cover up for his lies. And it did seem a lot of it really is that he didn't want Hillary to find out. 
well, like he says to <laughs> he said he said it to what's his um uh Dick yeah Morris. Dick Morris yeah so that that's kind of the thing because when he walks out of that <clears throat> testimony you can tell by the look on his face he knows he's fucked mm-hmm. you know it's just <clears throat> sorry excuse me he's just panic stricken as much as <laughs> the president of the United States can be and then. You know, he's just got some big arrogant balls, that's for sure. And then he's like, hey, honey, I have some news. And um, she's kind of like, what did you do? (laughs) Like, yeah, he's a puppy that shit in the corner big time. And then he barfed and then he peed on it all. And that's the mess you're going to be in. But you don't realize it yet. You're still willing to believe him, sort of. Like, Mm -hmm. how can you even believe that guy? I mean, I don't know. The power, right? That's what I guess. I guess you know. It is clear though. Once he kind of tells his version of the story to her, she's that she is the parent. You're completely right about that. And she's like, "Okay, this is how we're gonna (laughs) handle this." You know, she comes in, mommy. You know, ready to pick up after the dog that made a mess in the corner. Um. Little does she know how big that mess is really until I feel like when he's doing that, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I feel like after he said that, they kind of shoot to her and they shoot to Lewinsky and they shoot to Trip, And that's mm-hmm. when I was like, they all know he's lying. I mean, yep. two of them really know he's lying. But I think that's when Hillary realized, oh, he's lying. He's so lying. And it's all going to come out next week, which is going to be fantastic. I think the introduction of her was really genius in the sense that she's lying asleep in bed. Like we keep on saying, awake, the awaken the Kraken, you know, like yes. she's literally <laughs> sleeping and he wakes her yes. up, you know, and it's just like you were saying, like waking mommy up to tell her the bad news and the way he's. It reminds me so much of like when my son wants to like watch YouTube or something and before he even gets to it, he's got this litany of, okay, dad, so I did the dishes. I was a good boy. I did it. So now can I watch this funny thing? You know what I mean? Like it was the same thing. Like thou doth protest too much. He, you know, she's obsessed with, and this is what bothered me. He said it to Dick Morris. He said it to the lawyers. He said it to Hillary. He even said it to Betty. You know how she's obsessed with me, you know? And, and that was unfair because she was obsessed with him, but he also perpetuated that by purposefully not allowing her to communicate in certain ways, calling her at three o'clock in the morning, making her show up at different events to be with him. And she, he manipulated this situation and used it like that. And that would have been the situation anyway, because he's the president. Yeah. Um, But it was, I felt that was, that to me was like the most hurtful and mean thing. And it made her cry too. Like when she, you know, when she sees on TV is like, I don't, that woman. And it was, it just, I really think the way that they continue to show that for her, 
this really remained as a guy she was in love with. Mm-hmm. You know, that was always the overriding sentiment. Not that he was the president or this was public yeah. or this was history. It She just wanted to be with him. Um, yeah. I think is is really a smart choice on production's part to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He really did a number on her just like, Oh, she comes from a troubled background, a broken home, obsessive stalking. Yeah. I mean, just kind of like, you know, every excuse except, he was the one calling her, you know, she, there were so many times we've seen that she almost kind of gave up on him and was just going to let it go. And then Linda Tripp started encouraging her. And at the same time, then he'd call again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would just be some kind of very strange um, pattern Definitely. with him. Uh, you know, oh, she fantasizes about me. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, I did want to say when he was telling Dick Morris, I can't tell Hillary, it would destroy her. And I'm more like, you mean she would destroy you, buddy? Like, you know, your balls would be in a vice after if she found out, you know, I don't think she's pretty tough. You know, I think, uh, I think she gives that too. Yeah. She'll give as good as she gets, you know? Definitely. (laughs) Um, we also had the appearance of the high school teacher slash <sighs> art guy. Um, theater set dude. Yes, theater yeah. set guy. The sensitive ponytails. Exactly. And, all that crap. Um, and, and that's the fucked up part is that he's saying the same thing. He's fo- He's literally following Clinton's. Um, right. Same thing, which was a typical thing of men to say when the relationship went in a way they didn't want. Right. Like the woman's crazy. She's obsessed with me. She and the way he kept on saying to his wife, like she ruined our lives as though your wife also decided to have sex with a high school student, you know. Right. But remember, she had mentioned that he finally got fired from that job at the high school she went to because he had fucked so many other girls there, which depending on their age, that's, you know, grounds for statutory rape um, if they're not 18. And so it also kind of shows him throwing her under the bus this way. He is also a serial um philanderer the same way bill clinton is and so this is the mindset of this type of guy right it starts blowing up in their face and they spin lies to try and get out of it you know and they'll 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 um you know they'll just character assassinate any woman that is on the table that's you know um has an issue is basically what it seemed like and doubly hard for Monica Lewinsky. Like these are the two men that we know she had relationships with at this point. And they're both just saying horrible stuff about her. And you know, that at one point she loved both of them, I'm sure. And it's just, um, you know, it's just disgusting. Uh, poor thing. Yeah. And also how about like the two high school guys? Like, I mean, what, what, 
in today's day and age, whenever these people are trotted out, my first thought is you scumbag. Why are you going on TV even talking about like you, Yeah, you know, I think things have changed a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. Also considering where she grew up, which was Beverly Hills, it's like these are rich, snotty, little entitled white boys that probably haven't done anything of worth to prove themselves and are just dying to get in the public eye. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like it's part of that whole culture down there as well. Definitely. Um, Yeah. It plays into like what DJ and we've been talking about the whole time is the fame, the power, the notoriety. Uh-huh. Whether it's infamy or fame, does it really matter in America? No, it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that the way to that Monica is basically in the apartment, the whole episode, you know, and it feels so claustrophobic. We finally get out of the apartment when um, Ginsburg, her lawyer, is going to bring them to Kenneth Starr's office to finally go over this deal that Uh blows up um, for reasons of which we don't really see it. So that I thought was an interesting thing is where we stay with Monica in the waiting room and the guy starts talking about like, yes, I love that guy. Oh, Ginsburg. Yeah, Monica, we're leaving. Um, And he seems to mess things up too. Our whole, our kind of, um, we get a cliffhanger here where he, we are left off where we don't know if the actual immunity deal is going to work out. I mean, we know that she's going to jail or anything, right? right? So this is all just drama but it, it is it does illustrate ken star and you know what what was really going on it was interesting in the vulture piece they did say that it wasn't really just ginsburg going on tv that did this mm. um they felt like monica was not giving them anything the whole time So they felt like they were having to really pull everything and they were starting to feel like they would have an uncooperative witness here, even if Mm -hmm. she did Mm -hmm. sign. And so it may appear as if she was forced to do it. You know what I mean? So I think that. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's all I was going to say. Oh, and I was going to say, you know what hasn't come up yet? The dress. Right. Yep. And I, yeah, it's, you know, Linda's like, you might want to save this. And honestly, that might be the best piece of advice in a weird way. Initially, not a great piece of advice, but long-term a great piece of advice, because that is the only proof she really has that this actually all happened, you know, well, I have a spooge on me, so... (laughs) You know, yeah. we had, he had to be letting me do something to him and be consensual. <laughs> I mean, it's not like she's going to hold him down in the oval and, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, God. I think you're right. That's Yikes. interesting the way you put it, Gina, that in a sense that, that, um, advice is going to help her, right? Because yeah. that's the only, that's the really 
that's the piece of evidence that she has and the power that she holds. Because one of the things I did think about while watching this is there comes a point at which they even say, hey, all we have is this, we have a bunch of tapes, but we don't have proof. It's just tapes. Everybody's acting like these tapes prove it. It's just two women talking on the phone. Yeah. And And it could be like if if, if she's really what he's making her out to be, a crazy, unstable stalker with who's, you know, from a broken home, then those tapes could just be her delusions of grandeur that she's making all this stuff up uh, and is obsessive until that dress kind of, you know, seals the deal. And and also Linda trip herself too. You know, she is not, it's not like she's got a great rep, you know what I mean? So I think that it's, I think it's interesting the way they've decided to lean into this because I think when you think about the way that you're going to tell this story and still we're in episode seven, we have not got to the impeachment trials. There's, you know what I mean? Like Uh obviously this show is mostly about what actually happened here, right? The lead up to it. And I'm cool with that because I think it focuses on their relationship too. Right. Well, I think that's what people really want to know, right? Like you could read it in her book. They will never talk about it in their books, Bill or Hillary. And so it leaves a big kind of gray area, right? Who was doing what, when, and I think it makes it so much more interesting to see it all laid out. And frankly, I think I think watching this, especially if you were someone that voted for Bill Clinton three times and like, you know, the Clintons and think they do good things for people, which in, in many ways they do. But I like I was at the, my little circuit training gym class this morning. We talk about all sorts of stuff as we're, you know, toiling through the workout. And I was just like, I am sorry, but Bill Clinton made the playbook for Donald Trump. And in some ways he is just as bad as Donald Trump. Everyone changed the subject. Like no one wanted to hear the truth about Bill Clinton. And it was all women. You know, I was just kind of like of all ages and generations, I'm just kind of thinking, damn guys, you know, and it kind of went back to that whole people who can face the reality of a situation and people who don't want to. Yeah. And it's like the whole thing. It's crazy. It is. And I mean, I think that's why this subject is so difficult, right? And I mean, it's so difficult for so many people because we have to be honest, as many men or women who are offended by hearing Trump say, like, grab him by the pussy, right? There are women who want to be grabbed by the pussy, and by him. Yeah, by him. Exactly. Uh-huh. And there are men who think, hey, that's that's what I like that. Or, you know, yeah. and then you have that's many what a people, man does. Exactly. And then you have many who say, hey, at least ask first. And then you have many who say, well, we already kind of had an agreement. It just goes to show <laughs> whenever you involve sex relationships, everyone has their own ideas. It's it can be the our legal system our society has every society has traditionally had difficulty in defining what is okay and not okay. Right. Like it's a, it's Mm -hmm. an evolving subject. Um, just to see how much it's evolved from the nineties to now is pretty amazing. Right. Mind boggling. It's, I mean, the media, 
landscape has changed so much with social media. The way people interpret the Constitution appears to have changed so much. It's crazy. It's always an issue. And I think this show is doing a really good job of basically saying, in the end, what it's going to come down to is human beings, their emotions, right? And Mm -hmm. what they've agreed to personally with each other and then how other people relate to it is that's where the problem happens. Right. And it's, it's like we're talking about, and you're saying we're never going to find out. I don't know. I almost feel like if Hillary died, I feel like Bill Clinton the next year would have a book that's talking all about what he did with Monica. I I just feel like there is, or vice versa. She could come out with her book too. Good point. Yeah. And, and, and I just the way, Going back to when he wakes her up in the bed, he's like, Hillary. First of all, I felt like she was going to say, Tony, what is it now? It was really, <laughs> right? Because yeah. she, how many times in The Sopranos did she say, Tony, is there something you need to tell me? You know, right? She said those same exact words. I just rewatched The Sopranos series, so mm. I know I'm right. About yeah. 10 times in the bedroom, there's a specific you know, time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I think you're totally onto something. And honestly, Carmela Soprano and Hillary Clinton are in mm-hmm. almost the exact same situation. And maybe that's why he picked her to play Hillary because it's like, oh, she's done this before. Yeah. Dealt with a cheating husband that is lying to her face. And she knows he's lying, but doesn't really quite admit it. <laughs> Mafioso. It's very, you know oh, what I mean? God. Like, Hey, in Ooh. the mafia, right? Say the only difference between us and them is they got a badge, right? Like it's the same yeah. shit, you know, in, in a certain mentality, though I don't really think it is, but it in a certain mentality. And I think that that was really great. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the Isakoff stuff because this really did happen. Yeah. Um, his, his editors claim it was because they were having problems confirming with Betty and with Vernon Jordan um, that if they had had some sort of confirmation or denial from them, they may have gone. This is what the vulture story said. Oh, okay. I think that's bullshit. Um, I do too. But she she had said in the show anyway, we haven't even talked to this girl. Yeah. Like you haven't talked to her. And I thought that was a fair point too. Right. You know, totally. I, I, I can only say I was a journalist. I have a degree in journalism. I did work for the Newark star ledger for on and off for about five years. And, um, actually while the Sopranos was airing for a little bit. Um, and, uh, that is the newspaper that Tony gets. And I will (laughs) say they should not have run this story. Um, the part about the confirmation of saying confirmation, I think I say that's bullshit because I say that that's mm-hmm. just a way of what you would say to somebody, but they didn't have enough confirmation to run this story. And today's day and age where you run a story off a rumor, we are back in the muckraker days of journalism mm-hmm. and it's a cycle and people say journalism has never been this bad. Trust me. Go, go research the Spanish American war and tell me about how journalism was never that bad. Okay. 
it was, and it has been, and it goes in cycles. And I agree with his editors. You know, I, I have to say I do too. And I'll compare it to some of the more sensational stories that have broken up over the last couple of years. And I would say the accusation against Biden um, by the woman that said he kind of, you know, pinned her up against the wall yeah. and groped her and everything. You know, I, I don't remember who broke that story, but what I do remember is that the failing New York Times, as you know, conservatives like to call it, waited about three weeks before they mm -hmm. actually ran anything on it. And it's because they investigated it. And so did the Associated Press, by the way. They they after that news broke, they said, okay let's really dig into this and try and figure out what went on um, and interviewed scores of people on many fronts. And that's really what it takes. Good journalism takes as much as people will say, Oh, New York times is lies or AP reporters don't know their shit. It's like, no, these are the people that actually do because they do the due diligence. They just don't yeah. run with a rumor and publish stuff. It's not, it's not the way real media works. And um, so, yeah, you know, Newsweek was right to do it. And in some ways, Isikoff didn't really do his job. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. I think when he had the information from Linda, right, yeah. he had an opportunity to get another source, which which he got tapes of her talking to Monica. That's not another source. Right. Those were tapes from her. So there is no other source. And that's the thing that I'm saying, like when they said, all we've got is tapes between two women. This is not enough. It wasn't enough. We know yeah. that it happened and we're watching this. Right. So we're sitting there going, run the dumb story. But they didn't know that it was true. And this kind of stuff was coming out every other day about Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that, and especially, especially when there had just been a Supreme Court ruling on the, on the Paula Jones stuff, big papers and, and something like Newsweek, which again, this was pre huge internet as we see with Drudge, right? right. Getting one of the first huge biggest scoops ever on the internet. Um, it just, it, the it was a different time, you know, and yeah. they, they had to check their sources that they could have gotten in trouble yeah. and, or have nobody talk to them anymore you yeah. know um because and and tapes are not documents no. like i think isikoff is like this is our watergate moment <laughs> you know and it's like no actually it's not because no. i think i remember that guy transporting like reams of paper on an airplane that was basically the evidence of <laughs> this it wasn't just tapes and you know, it's the same thing with, you know, Donald Trump's tax returns. Like that is physical evidence and it's evidence that they double, triple, quadruple checked to make sure they were authentic before they released stories on them. And that's how real journalism works. I mean, had he had any types of emails between Monica and, oh, and Bill or, yeah. you know, something like that, um, it, it's a completely different story. Um, but yeah, there was nothing in writing and yeah, it's just these two friends gabbing about dudes yep. <laughs> and dieting. Mm -hmm. 
So that that's that's interesting that Isakov part. I can see him being upset about it, but I also think that it, it also shows that though that Drudge is his own editor. It's just a web page and he throws it up there. And uh-huh. he was right, okay? But that doesn't make it right. And right. I think that it is an indication of the adjustment that our society and the world has had to make to the internet. And I mean, here we are talking a lot about Trump and such. And I mean, there was just an interview where they interviewed people at a Trump rally and they were like, he's still president. He's secretly telling Biden what to do. Like there were tons of, Oh my God. There's no way Joe Biden is taking his calls. Oh my God. Yes, I'm sure Joe Biden's on the phone every day it, with Trump I mean, asking it, for his advice, not it, it just goes to show you, right, that people you know, it's all those times when people were saying when I was in journalism school and they're like, check your sources, this is important because people can uh-huh. be easily misled. And some people in my journalism class, and a lot of times they'd be more conservative people would say, Oh, that you're you live you think all people are stupid. They can discern the truth. Uh-uh. And it's like, well, unfortunately, we've come to see people are not as smart as you think they are, you know, yeah. like read something twice and it's the truth. Yeah. You well, know, even, so, you know, yeah. And, it, and working in PR, trying to like sell even stories about technologies to technology reporters or business reporters. It's like unless it's hard funding news and even sometimes then. You, they want to talk to one of the venture capitalists involved in the deal. They want to talk to the CEO. You know, um, sometimes they'll want to talk to a customer. They want sources and, yeah. and they want data and they want you to share numbers. And if you don't have all this information, they don't deem it worthy of a story. Like there's a reporter I work with at Business Week who, or Bloomberg Business Week who her qualifications now to write a story about a funding announcement are, it needs to be at least $100 million in the raise, and the company has to be have a valuation of $2 billion or more. That's like the new standard for her. It's not for everyone, but it's like, you know, reporters have high expectations. <laughs> There's a lot of news to cover, and if you don't have it wrapped up in a pretty little package, with a bow on it that they can like, you know, easily bet and put together and know the sources are good, then you don't get a story. It's like this stuff is hard and it's what they need to get it past their editor. So, you know, yeah. it's kind of crazy how people think journalist is so journalism so easy. Well, that's why I'm not a journalist anymore. I- I'll be quite honest with you. I enjoy, I loved writing. I, And I loved talking to people and hunting down information or a mystery or a story, excuse me, but I lacked the prerequisite, um, sharkness to ask really hard questions and challenge people and be that aggressive on a consistent basis, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and, and really be that stringent. I ended up writing some feature articles, which I thought were a bit more fun and I could just kind of write. And that's Mm -hmm. why I veered towards features. And I did when I started at the star ledger, I was an editorial assistant. I became the editorial assistant for the editorial board. 
So I was in every meeting, every morning, the big meeting where the editor of sat there and the editorial board and they decided and they talked about, hey, we have this story. It only has this source. So I'm speaking from experience in that it was stringent yeah. <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. it, it, it taught me, you know, that I wasn't as interested in that part as I was in writing in probably making it, wanting to make a documentary or just talk about it, you know, which is why right. I'm here now instead of yeah. being like a hard journalist. But I could, so I can feel where Isakoff is coming from. He felt like he worked hard, but it's just like the example of, you know, the people getting on TV and talking shit on her without really knowing the facts or even mm-hmm. contemplating her humanness, you know? Yeah. Um, it's sad. Um, I don't know. There's much more to say about that. We can kind of talk a little bit about, we, we talked a little bit about Linda, but I think it's worth mentioning the speech she gives her children. Oh my gosh. We're at the precipice of a change. <laughs> oh my God. This I'm was like, I felt cool. sad. She really thought she was going to be a hero yeah. and take down a president for wrongdoing and that's why she didn't really care that she you know basically pissed all over her friend and ruined her life and you know even like walking through the media shit storm on the way to her minivan she's like smiling and i'm just like oh my god this woman is crazy yeah so purposeful like remember they were like you don't need to do oh i need to do this and it was really so she could make that walk um right yes she wanted she wanted those pictures and you know and then you know she eventually puts the sheets on the windows and is smiling through all the news coverage she's watching on tv till she opens up the the letter with the dyke see see you next tuesday in it and um you know and then oh i hope whoever they have play monica on snl is kind to you know is i hope they represent her well or something and it's like yeah, and playing you is John Goodman at his heaviest. It's just like so insulting. Like, God, that's a gut punch. That, yeah, with the kids in the room too, yeah. right? And um, <clears throat> mom, you don't need to watch this. That was to see, that was a tender moment, right? Because we've yeah. seen these kids walk in and out, not even give her a card on her birthday. And yeah. then the, to have... I think that was, I think they even, I have to say the one aspect in which they could have even gotten us more involved is if they had given us maybe a scene or two with the kids without her around, like someone at school says, that's your mom or you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if we'll see that, but think about how bad if there had been social media, then it would have been for her kids. Terrible. Horrifying. People don't think, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I just, I thought that that was really, really sad. Um, and yeah, John Goodman and, and, and the part where both her and there was another part in this, um, I think it was one of the, maybe it was the trip lawyer, maybe, maybe it was even last episode someone said it, but someone said something like, this is bigger than Watergate. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is not bigger than Watergate. I no. do not think most people understand what really happened in Watergate and how far back and how it went back to the Democratic Convention and how it, <laughs> how 
how Nixon basically took out his opponent before the election. Like it went back. Watergate is and what Nixon did is so beyond what it happened here. And honestly, I know Trump did a lot of crazy shit. (laughs) He was just grasping at straws being a moron. What Nixon did is still in my book by far. Quite calculated. Yeah. I mean, it's so calculated. And because Nixon was very smart. So he knew what he was doing. He was manipulating the gears of the system. Trump was just always just trying to do whatever he could to be and get away with it. Exactly. He's just he's a he's a two bit con man. Nixon was yeah. not that. He was he had been vice president. He, people forget about like how in politics Nixon was internationally too. I mean Kissinger and all that shit. It's just like it's just not comparable. Not yeah. comparable did, at all. Did you ever listen to? I think it was Rachel Maddow's podcast called The Bagman. No, I did not, but I know I know about it. Because what I didn't really realize, because this was all happening when I was like one year old, um, I think Nixon actually resigned on my first birthday, but um, is Spiro Agnew was so much worse yeah. than Nixon. They had to figure <laughs> out how to get rid of him almost first because they wanted to make sure he could have become president because he was so much worse. I mean, just like, yeah, it was a, and he um, was bringing attention to what Nixon was doing. He was, you know, that was the problem. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, all right. So let's wrap this up. Um, you know, we'll end it again by saying next week, the Kraken. I can't wait. Finally. I can't wait. Yes. Oh, and I give this episode five headbands and a beret with a kicky presidential hat pin. Ooh, nice. Nice. All right. I'm going to give it four times waking up Hillary and telling her bad news. Ooh. I like this episode. And I'm going to give a special shout out again to Clive Owen, who I think really knocked it out of the ballpark in this yeah. episode. He He really... He, he great actor there because to take the turn that he did here and the subtlety and with the Betty thing too, some great acting. Um, and yeah. of course, Beanie continues to do great. Everybody on this show. I, I hope, you know, I'm, I'm not one to think that art can be judged by awards, but at least it'll get more people to go back and watch this when it pops up on, I guess it's going to pop up on Netflix. Right. So mm, when it does yeah, pop up on there, And maybe people will listen to this podcast later too. So we appreciate that. And, um, oh, today, and since we're ending, it's a good time to say thank you to everyone who gave us reviews. We're now up to, uh, I think 18 reviews, which is nice. We had one, one review that wasn't so kind to me, but well, it said I was a little overbearing or I think it said, yeah. Well, what was the, what was the feedback during the podcast Winterfell? Pedantic? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pedantic. <laughs> oh, just, you know. Oh, woo. And I sneeze on the podcast, too. But, um, oh, I mean, I, I will admit that last week I was, I was feeling a little sick. I may have been a little grouchy. So I'm sorry if I, to the person who wrote that review, I do actually listen. I, I don't, I, you know, I do talk a lot. So, 
it can come off as overbearing, but I hope that you don't feel that way, Gina, nor. No. And you know, last on. week I was actually super tired cause I'd had kind of already a really long week and, um, um, you know, I wasn't fully prepared to, to talk with Tim either. I probably would have had a coffee <laughs> before it. So I know that my energy yep. Yep. was like, <clears throat> my energy was a little low last week mm-hmm. too. So I think that it's just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. But I, um, I think that's it is that Tim is very energetic. And I think I kind of, when I got my energy up, I was a little tired. So maybe I got a little bit too energetic I might have cut him off a time or two, but I didn't mean to do that. We are all great friends and, um, you know, Hey, sometimes that happens on a pod and, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, I do, I consider it, but I also think, I do think I am a nice guy. So, um, yes, you are. I, I hope you maybe are. we can change that review. Maybe my performance will be better in the future. Aww. We hope so. Um, but anyway, we want to thank everyone because even when you give us a bad review, the way Apple's uh, algorithm works, it pushes up uh, up higher and more people oh. see the podcast. So. Should I leave a really crappy review for us? <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's something that somebody figured out a while back is like oh. it, they just count the number of reviews. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. Oh, I see. Um, you know, it's like all press is good press, right? Okay. Yeah, um, I guess. But it's been very enjoyable. I can't believe that we've only got three episodes left. Um, yeah. I mean, know. it's still four and a half hours. That's what I have to give them credit that, yeah. well, I mean, not counting commercials, but that these are all dedicated, like 90 minute yep. shows, which is great. Um, yeah. Good yeah. stuff. It's a great one. And I hope more people are watching and tuning in because they have really, man, they did a much better job than I even thought they were going to do. And the, 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 really it's the, the humanness and, and the, uh, humanity that they've imbued all of the characters, even not so great ones that I think has impressed me and made me want to watch every week. And I look forward to being here next week. Until then, thank you for listening. Peace out.